Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is my good friend, Doreen. And today we have a very good episode that will come out on a Wednesday, and it's on the dangers of the passion. Doreen, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, dear sister? Thank you for breaking down why the passion should be marked and avoided, Dave. I really appreciate your time and research in this. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really eye opening, I think, guys. And uh, OK, so, guys, uh, today we are going to talk about the dangers of the passion. And my first point here is to compare the English Standard Version to the passion. So um, first up is uh, the passion translation uh, from John 114. It says, and so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came to the father overflowing. Wow. That is horrifically bad. Mm -hmm. And John 114 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So, I mean, here we have, here we have the deity of Christ on you know, display the word became flesh. In fact, this this really the whole chapter, the first chapter of John, really dives into uh, the incarnation and uh, tells us about you know who Jesus is and and all of these things. And so, uh, this is really one of the most important passages in the New Testament that des- that describes for us the incarnation of Christ. Why that is? Why Christ came into the world, and that is to die for us. He came under the census of death. Uh, came. Uh, excuse me. Let me start over again. The incarnation tells us why Christ came. He came to die for us in our place and for our sins. So, what the Passion says here about the living expression became a man. That that is not what uh, the Greek here has in mind. It's it's not a a good translation of this passage at all. No, it almost sounds like Arianism. It sounds like. Um that they're calling Jesus in modalistic terms, a mode of God that became flesh. And so that's just one verse you've read from the passion. And already we can see that it's filled with heresy and and I would say blasphemy in misdescribing our Lord. Absolutely. Romans one five in the passion translation says this through him, a joy producing grace cascaded into us, empowering us with the gift of apostleship so that we can win people from every nation into a faithful commitment to Jesus to bring honor to his name. Now, yikes to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, a whole bunch of you, which when I say you, I mean, it makes my stomach churn. Um, And Romans 1, 5 in the ESV says, uh, through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, 
the gift of apostleship, it's consistent with what the, the new, the NAR, or the, if you prefer, not familiar with that term, it's the New Apostolic Reformation. They affirm the New Apostolic Reformation does modern day and present apostles. But the original text in the Greek here does not say gift. It says grace. And this is another example of the new apostolic theology being imposed on the text, the biblical text, in order to support the idea that apostles are for today. They're not. We don't we don't see them in in, you know, after the canon being closed and the canon is closed. We have 66 books that are in the Bible and they are enough for us. They're enough to tell us about you know, who God is and what he's like. So we don't, we don't need uh, uh, the gift of apostleship today. It's not one of the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible either. And the qualifications of apostles, it'd be impossible for anyone to qualify as someone who had the personal interaction with our Lord Jesus today. Oh yeah, absolutely. They would have to be, they would have to perform miracles. They would have had to see Jesus face to face. I mean, on and on and on. And uh, nobody has seen Jesus face to face. And, uh, you know, not to mention the can, the can is closed and the Bible fully reveals Jesus just to be clear. And so, yeah, we don't, we don't have any need for apostles or for prophets today. Galatians yeah. 6, go ahead, sir. No, it's okay. I just okay. was going to say that whenever anyone calls themselves an apostle, I just, it's, there's so much pridefulness in that. And there's even um, our friend, Dwayne Atkins of um, the Bar Network, he and his wife had paid money to go to a so-called apostle class before he was, I don't, maybe it was before he was saved. I have a video interviewing him on this, but um, they, they were deceived definitely. And so they became, a, they had like a certificate. I'm an apostle. And these false churches do that. It's a money-making venture for them. They, they crank out prophets and apostles for a fee and you get a certificate, but that's not how it works. Yeah. Jesus had 12 apostles, you know, of course, you know, we know that, you know, Judas committed suicide and later he was replaced in Acts one by Matthias, but um, and yeah, Paul. yeah. And Paul. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, so it, there's no like cranking out apostles or, or prophets kind of thing in the Bible. You know, it was a special office and it was limited and it was for a particular time. And that time has come and gone. So um, I'm sure we could go on and on with that. But I just I think it's worth commenting that. Yes. Galatians 6, 1 in the Passion Translation says, my beloved friends, if you see a believer who is overtaken with a fault, may the one who overflows with the spirit seek to restore him. Win him over with gentle words, which will open his heart to you and will keep you from exalting yourself over him. Uh, ew. Um, so bad. And then, and then Galatians 6, 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. Well, the one who overflows with the spirit, that's not in the original language. It's not in any solid translation. It, the word here is simply spiritual, as we see in Galatians 6, 1. Now, this is another example of the New Apostolic Reformation belief in, in an overemphasized work of the Spirit in miraculous ways in the church today. Now, what, what does the, we need to ask the question really quickly, what does the Spirit aim to do? And, and thankfully, in John 15 through 16, we have very clear teaching about this. Uh, I call this uh, Jesus Upper Room Seminary Level class that he's giving them. 
And there he's telling us about, you know, the Holy Spirit will come and teach them the truth. He'll, he'll come and, and into the lives of uh, born-again Christians. He'll indwell them. He'll teach them the truth of the word, and he'll point them to Christ. And later we, we, later we find in the Gospels, the Great Commission, Jesus sends them out from local churches to make disciples who make disciples for the glory of God. So this, this overemphasized work of the Spirit is something that we, we see again and again in the uh in the new apostolic reformation and it's not biblical god has spoken definitively and finally um in the person and the work of the lord jesus in the scriptures and we always need to add that in the scriptures because that's the only way that we know jesus is in the scriptures yeah this is just shocking and and to even quote galatians where paul said that if anyone teaches a false gospel let them be accursed and here he's doing that yeah Exactly. Well, first, first Timothy 2.12 in the Passion Translation says this, I don't advocate that the newly converted women be the teachers in the church, assuming authority oh. over them, but to live in peace. I, I have a, to be honest with those who are listening or watching this, I have a hard time reading that that is that yeah. is really difficult for me to even say uh and for for those of you maybe you haven't read first timothy 2 12 in the in a, in a better translation like the esv it says this i do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man rather is she is to remain quiet well we've already seen that the passion translation it says a newly converted woman but but the Greek here actually says a, a woman. Yep. Now, we know that in this broader scope of evangelicalism today, and specifically talking about the New Apostolic Reformation, it's, it's hip, it's cool, it's trendy. Well, women can be a pastor. Well, this translation says a newly converted woman. So that implies that women could be a pastor and a, and a teacher of the word. Now, that's the opposite meaning of this particular text and and so this is suggesting to us in the passion translation that women who are not converted can be teachers and have authority in the church well the passion translation actually does something here that is significant it's worth noting that they make the text say the opposite of what the text actually says and this this actually is a really important thing because and we'll talk about this in just a minute here but um you know, when when we when we don't believe the Bible and what it says, we're going to retranslate it. And it makes me this actually makes me think of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. It makes me think of all sorts of other things. And it's wrong. It's wrong. You, you If you don't believe the Bible, you're going to do what you're going to do with it, whatever you want. You're going to cherry pick it. You're going to take it out of context. You're going to rip out its pages. So just to be clear, a woman can't be a pastor. And, right. and we see that because, to be clear, Genesis 1 through 2 makes it clear uh, Adam was made first and then Eve, you know, from his rib. Um, in the Old Testament, we never see a woman being a priest. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus had, as we said, 12 apostles. Um, in uh, Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, Paul makes it clear that only men, qualified men, we need to say that, can be leaders in the church, qualified men, according to scriptural standard. But we also need to, whenever I, whenever I talk about this, some people get a little bit uncomfortable 
And they think, well, what about women? What can they do? Well, Titus 2 also tells us what a, a woman is to do. They are to, uh, uh, older women is to teach a younger woman. Now, you can apply that in a number of ways. If you're in your 30s, you find somebody in your 20s. If you're a lady, so on and so forth, take the idea and run with it and go for it. Um, th- the point is, is, is intergenerational discipleship. Uh, that that the generations are deci- are discipling one another, and that uh, you know all, all of those things, and that that is to happen in the confines of the local church. And so, this is really really dangerous, um, very dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. that, well, that this this one actually bothers me probably the most. This example, yeah. Well, it, it it explains why there's so many women on stages at new apostolic reformation churches too. And I just have to say that. Um, you know, I'm a former feminist, and I would have been upset at First Timothy two twelve as it is in the Bible, and I probably would have welcomed Brian Simmons' opinion as he's written down in the Passion. So I do understand where it feeds into the rebellious people, and um, and now <clears throat> as someone who absolutely knows that God's word is God breathed, all sufficient, inerrant. And we are to submit to it, whether we like it or not. This is something that I I get a lot of letters about because people will say, well, aren't you having authority over men with these videos? And no, this is not a pulpit. We don't do the Lord's Supper here. We don't do baptisms here. This is specifically to the pulpit at the church. And that's why Aquila and Priscilla don't, don't apply here because they were evangelists. And Deborah was a judge. I, people keep wanting to say, but Deborah, she was, as you said, Dave, she wasn't a pastor. She wasn't a priest. She was a judge. And that was because no men would step up and she wasn't even that good of a judge. So she is not our role model. Women are welcome to evangelize that the women at the well did. Women are welcome to teach children. They're encouraged to, we need more women in the nurseries and Sunday school. Uh, women are welcome to teach other women, please. Women who've, who are really grounded in scripture. We need more theologically sound women's studies, women's Bible studies. We don't want to be focused on Beth Moore, or Joyce Meyer, or any of these fluffy Jesus calling unbiblical teachings. We need women who will sit there and teach the word line by line and exegete it to other women. Not to get up to the pulpit and teach a mixed audience. That's just unbiblical and it's rebellious. Mm, amen. Yeah, that's really good. You know, God God assigned us a specific gender. Yeah. We, we even see that. And so when, when you try to function outside of your specifically designed gender, you're doing exactly what Doreen just said. You are in rebellion against God. You are against mm-hmm. acting against his design. And by the way, your gender is actually... Uh, to use the language of the Bible, so it's a matter of stewardship. Um, you are a steward of the body that God gave you, and you're going to be responsible, the Bible clearly tells us, for what is done in the body, which is why we're forbidden from sexual sin and other many, many other things. Because, um, yeah, so, yeah, well, that's, that's, we're, we're going to, we, we need to understand that, that, that the design is not to hinder or to you know, hinder a, a, a woman from doing God's work, uh, and to say, "Oh well, you can't do this." Okay, that is that is completely false. A, a woman can teach another woman. Uh, we need that. In fact, that's why we encourage other women to write as servants of grace, um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about, um, and it's something that I'm frankly very proud of because 
Um, I want to encourage other women to, to teach other women and to help them. And, and if a guy happens to, to be helped by that or, or an article or a book or whatever, you know what? Thank the Lord. You know, I, I have lots of women who write for me that will you, will you endorse my book? Uh, sure. You know, it, I'll read it all the way and I'll look at it. Uh, you know, I'm not afraid to have women on the podcast because like you said, it's not a pulpit. Um, you know, it, it, we, we, and we need to understand that too. Like th- there is a place for women to have a voice. And so those who suggest that women can't have a voice, any voice at all, uh, that's where that's, that's, that's just not the case and no, no complimentarian. And I used to write, by the way, um, your, your listeners and those who watch your show and maybe even equipping and grace might now because it was a while ago, but I used to write for the council on biblical manhood and womanhood about biblical manhood. And, and uh, we've done the issues of our magazine on all these things. And so I'm very, very passionate about this, mm-hmm. this subject and want to not just say, okay, well, men are men only over here, women only over here. Actually, we, we do need one another in the church, but we have to do it in the properly defined, biblically defined way. We do. uh, Yeah. yeah. And there's when I was first saved and we'd focus on this verse, there were people telling me that it was based on in context. They said in historical context, there was noisy women in Ephesus. And this was specifically for that time that it was specifically for the Ephesus church. And and then I started to say, okay, where does it say that in the Bible? It doesn't say there's noisy women. It does. And is it in Josephus? You know, is it in Pliny? Is it some is who said that it's noisy women? That's just another excuse for rebelliousness. This is super important. And I can see that Brian Simmons, as a so-called apostle of the NAR, wrote his opinion to justify his rebellion. And that's just, I mean, James said, not very many of us should be teachers because we'll be more harshly judged. And so Brian Simmons needs to repent for mm. teaching people to rebel and having the gall to call it the Bible, to call it a Bible translation. That just gives me righteous anger. Amen. Yeah. We call that cultural accommodation. You know, the, the culture of the Bible has a, we, we understand the culture of what a text means. And these are fascinating things. But when you go and look at the culture, and, and what it means and what the text says, you, you cannot come to this conclusion that no. women can be pastors. And, um, and not to mention all the other reasons that I gave at the outset here, um, you know, they, they, so, so this is a supposed a disputed passage, but it really isn't, it really can't be and shouldn't be, I should say, a, a disputed passage because of what, what the Bible very clearly states and teaches about um, gender and sexuality. And so we we come to texts like this and we want to superimpose what we think and what our culture says, whether that's, you know, feminism or whatever else. And so uh, uh, because our culture doesn't chafes at this idea of authority. So you can't tell me what I what I believe and what I what to think about myself, because I am really the master and commander of my own fate and of my destiny. And so, yeah, like you said, that idea needs to be repented of because you can't come to the Bible and then superpose, lay over your, your meaning and what you want it to say. You just can't, you can't, you either believe what the Bible says or, or you don't believe what the Bible says. And if you don't believe what the Bible says, then you don't believe God. 
period. That, that's where you go. You're in rebellion against mm-hmm. God. You are sinning yep. against God. God has revealed himself. So you either take him at his word or you don't. Uh, you know, yeah, the Bible says we're not to change a a dot or a tittle. And in Revelation, it says that anyone who changes this word, I mean, it might be specific to Revelation, it could be the whole, you know, the whole Bible, that they, they'll be cursed, if you change the Bible. And Brian Simmons has done that the New World Translation uh, did it. When I was growing up, we had Science and Health Key to the Scripture by Mary Baker Eddy as kind of a second book trying to teach the Bible in a way that was heretical. I mean, and they're also called prophets. All these people say that God's, Brian Simmons said God told him to write this. And it wasn't God with a capital G. It could be the lowercase g of this world, Satan. It could be, you know, the devil himself told Brian to write this because it's a manual for how to rebel. Yeah. And this is read from the pulpits of NAR churches, isn't it? Yes. This is actually at the heart of of the this translation is at the heart of the new apostolic reformation, as we'll as we'll see. And and leaders over and over again, Bill Johnson says this of the Passion. One of the greatest things to happen with the Bible in my lifetime, speaking about the Passion, you know, Bill Johnson is the pastor of Bethel Church and the best-selling author, a best-selling author. And that's what he says. Lou Engel of the call. Uh, says that it was forged with many, speaking of the passion, forged many years ago while Bill was translating the Bible in South America. He hammered it out on the anvil of, you know, translating the Bible, and it's a powerful uh, movie. He says, like the living Bible that sprung forth in the days of the Jesus movement, this translation bursts forth from the womb of this present revival. Read it and get caught up in a God swirl of spiritual understanding and revelation. Uh, John and Lisa Bevere of uh, oh, Founders yeah. Messenger International, best-selling authors, they say this, Brian Simmons' work is truly breathtaking. We so appreciate the labor of love that went into the translating of the scriptures directly from the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. The Passion Translation has energized our study of the Bible. It's going to do the same for you. Well, since uh, you mentioned that, let's let's just say this is not directly from the biblical languages. Yeah. Exactly. And we'll get into that later, but yeah, yeah. what the Bevere's are saying, that's absolutely, they're, they're making that up. That's not true. Yeah, absolutely. We could actually just go there if you want. Yeah, though, let's do yeah, it. I mean, they, they, so Brian Simmons is supposedly, he is the lead translator, quote unquote, of this translation. And, and I use translation uh, to be as generous and charitable as possible. Okay. Uh, we've talked about the New Apostolic Reformation. They are a movement of apostles and prophets and miracles. Uh, they emphasize taking dominion over the earth. Um, they say in their own word, the Passion Translation on their website, they want to reintroduce a passion and fire of the Bible to the English reader. Um, but it takes liberty with the Greek and the text of Scripture. And as we've seen, it, it charitably speaking, leans heavily towards the new apostolic reformation the their governing philosophy behind the passion translation this is also on their website to transfer the essential meaning of god's message from the biblical languages to modern english the passion translation is an essential equivalent translation that uh tpt the passion translation 
they say maintains an essential form, an essential function of the original words. It is a meaning for meaning translation. What? It translates the essence of God's original message into the heart. Now, I said that he is the original. Uh, that, trans- okay, so that's that's their their hype. That's their promo yeah, material. That's, yeah, that's, that's their branding. That's marketing. what they 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 might even believe that because the yeah. Second Corinthians says that the devil has this veil over people who cannot understand the gospel, and the gospel's foolish to those who are perishing. So they might actually believe their own hype. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what do I, you What do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't they don't believe the words that they're. I mean, it's all branding and marketing. It's all it's it's and it's deceptive. So they know exactly what they're doing. I, and he even says that in his own words, as 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 we'll see here in a minute, he even says from his own words that that in like a Joseph Smith kind of way, he received this translation from God. I mean, just just let that let, let that hit you for a minute. Not not the sixty six books that are in the Bible that are from God, that are for our good as Second uh, Timothy 2 or Second Timothy 3.16 and Second uh, Peter 1, 20 through 21 tell us that the scriptures are given by God. And so they're reliable and trustworthy and they're for every phase and every part of our lives that are without error, without the possibility of error, and they're binding on our lives. No, instead you have one guy, by the way, one guy on their website, they, they say things like, we have a team of translators, but they have no team. There's no team translated. So, so unlike with the ESV, they they had a team of respected scholars who mastered, you know, Greek and Hebrew. Uh, they had theological guys that have mastered biblical and systematic theology and practical theology who came together as a team and they translated the Bible. Instead, you have one guy, Bill Simmons, this. Uh, supposed apostle yeah, Brian Simmons apostle you know whatever but mm-hmm. you know he he has no education he has eight years or or so of experience supposedly translating the Bible but he has no formal education uh it never indicates on the passion translation website that that he has a mastery of Greek and Hebrew or or any such thing now if he does then let them post that uh, let them post that he's taken some classes, that he studied Hebrew and Greek, but they, he's never studied those things. They never, uh, uh, and unlike this, the ESV, the people who translate the ESV have the highest academic credentials from the most respected universities and seminaries in the world. Uh, that's far more significant than somebody who supposedly translated the, the Bible in Panama and, 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 and assisted, assisted a translation project, not engaged in it. By the way, I want to say something. I'm actually familiar with the organization that he was involved with, New Tribes. Uh, it's been many years now, about 20 years, but I actually went to the Philippines with them, uh, that organization, through the local church because we are the church I was at supported a, minis- uh, supported a missionary from our church and sent him out, this missionary and their family. And it, it's it's interesting because the people that I met there in the Philippines, the, the missionary, they were very solid biblically and theologically rooted, and they knew their stuff. And we're, <laughs> we're, we're talking about we're talking about uh, Brian Simmons here. And, and what we have is is somebody that, you know, Somebody that has no education, no, ex- no some experience, but no formal education, no stated uh, education. I'll say that in the Greek and the Hebrew, 
he has this experience teaching, but he has no or translating the Bible, but he has no sort of the the education, the actual qualifications that that are needed to um, translate. Now, I'll state for myself, um, I am not qualified myself because I don't have mastery over Greek and Hebrew to to translate the Bible. And I have a master's of arts and a master's of divinity, but I don't I don't have the the PhD in Greek. Um, you know, you're talking about in the Hebrew, you're talking about somebody that has gone beyond just taking the the time to study the Greek and Hebrew several classes for you know a couple of years or so. You're talking about somebody that spent years studying the the Greek. They they can translate in um, the original language in you know, uh, um, you know, from, from the original languages in, into our language uh, or any language, you know, but, but even there, like they get to know these people who master Greek and Hebrew, they get to know the language as well that they're translating into. Um, but, but here we have, and, and, I, and I'll just say it this way. They, we have somebody here in Brian Simmons who has intentionally deceptively misled people not only about his education, but also about his ability. Uh, it's just one guy, kind of like Eugene Peterson that we talked about mm-hmm. that one time where he sat there for five to 10 minutes and tried to be playful and creative. It, it really makes me think of, of, of Eugene Peterson. Yeah. Uh, with the message, mm-hmm. with the message. So, it, which is the mess. Yeah. So this is when there's a team, when there's a whole team of academic theologians, as you said, who are completely, um, able to exegete and translate the the oldest manuscripts we have of the Bible, which, for example, really good translations are the NASB, the ESV that you're translating, and they have accountability with their team. So their team, they can have meetings, they can have discussions, um, they can say, okay, is, I love the NASB, by the way, because it has in italics, the words that weren't actually in the Bible. And so you know that to kind of bridge together the whole sentence in an English way. And so there, there's, it's so integrous to say, okay, um, the word that wasn't there, but it kind of makes the sentence flow a little better. So it's in italics. So I know that wasn't the original, but it's added to help us understand. And, yeah. and that's integrity. The passion doesn't have the integrity as you're talking about. This is a man who has overinflated himself and his qualifications and his fan base has said, oh, you know, it's in this book. So therefore I'm justified in my rebellion and my sin against God. And he's just being a Pied Piper leading people to hell. This is just so dangerous. Yeah, you're right. You, you might wonder at this point, and I'm always careful with this. You might wonder, well, Dave, you might be making this up about his experience. Now, hear his own words. In an interview with Welton's Academy podcast, it's been taken down, but I found something uh, through the internet because nothing has ever really gone on the internet. That's right. He says, he says, I had minimal background in biblical languages. So yeah, it was something that honestly, something the Lord has really helped me with. Um, and he says this in his own words as well uh, about him, God calling him to translate the entire Bible. He says, I said, I, I said, Lord, if you really have called me to do this, I want you to speak to me. And I want it to be so clear to me that I have no doubt it was you, he says. Well, after that night, after laying it out before him, I had a visitation and I was given a commission 
by the Lord as he breathed on me and released me and called me to translate the Bible. And um, I'm doing this out of obedience, he says. To me, it is an act of obedience. Now, remember, we talked about it, it, this is an essential equivalent translation. That That is, it's basically a paraphrase. It's not taking um, a dynamic equivalent would take you know, the literal word for word, meaning um, translating it from the Greek or the Hebrew into, you know, the English or whatever language. Instead, this essential equivalent is more like functional equivalence. It's like, uh, it's it's more of like a paraphrase. Uh, it, it's just, it's not a thought for thought. It's not a word for word translation. It's, it's just, like you said, it's his opinion. It's his it opinion. Let's call it the opinion. I mean, if he yeah. had written a book, and just said, my opinion by Brian Simmons, we would not be making this video. Right. But he calls it the Bible. And that's, that's where he is sorely mistaken. And he's, he's deceiving people. Yeah. And that, and that really matters. Um, we should, we should mark and avoid not only the passion translation, but I mean, there's a long list of people who have endorsed this. Uh, Bill Johnson being one of them, Chuck Pierce being another, John and Lisa Bevere, other other people that are very well known. Uh, this is, in other words, at the heart, this translation. And I've asked people who've come out that I know that go to church with me, and there's a lot of them at our church here in Southern Oregon that have come out of Bethel, that have come out of the new apostolic room. I asked them for clarification on this. And I said, is this, I asked them, is this translation at the heart of the New Apostolic Reference? As in, you heard this preached, this translation preached at, at your church when you were at a church connected with the New Apostolic Reformation. And they said, yes. And I asked more than one person this question. And so they, this is actually, not only do the, do the endorsements on their website show this, but actually people that have gone to these churches that have sat under the preaching from this opinion Bible, we'll, we'll call it that, it's, it's not a Bible, but it's an opinion. It's a man's opinion, one man's opinion of what the Bible says. Uh, so we need to mark and we need to avoid this. Now, the same friend of mine, I'm not going to tell you their name, but he said, you know what? One thing that would be really helpful with this video, this episode, is if you were to talk about not only why you're to avoid the passion and the new apostolic reformation, but, but also helping those who come out. And, and that's my heart as well. I, I want, I don't want anybody who, whenever I'm on your show or, you know, on equipping you grace, I don't want anybody to ever be stuck and think, you know, you didn't give me an answer. You didn't give me a way out. How do I get out? And then how do I get help? So I never want to, I never want you to feel like you're, you're stuck or, or anything like that, 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 that that would actually break my really would break my heart. And Doreen could tell you that would that would make me very upset and it would probably make me cry. Yeah. Um, so but so you need to read a translation like the NASB, the, the ESV or the New King James or one of those. And you need to avoid as in let me be clear here. If you're in a church that that preaches from the, the the passion translation or the mess of the message or any other any other translation that isn't saw like the NASB, the ESV, or the New King James, just go ahead and leave that church. Mm-hmm. You, you tell them you tell them that that Dave Jenkins told them told you to leave that church, okay? And you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to be rude about it. But just go ahead and leave. If you're a member, say thank you and goodbye. 
you need to you need to be in a church that that preaches the Bible, that opens the Bible, that believes the Bible, actually believes the Bible, and actually practices the Bible. It's not enough just to preach to preach from the Bible. You got to better repract that church better be practicing the Bible, and it better have biblically qualified male pastors and elders that preach from the NASB or the ESV. They open the Bible. They do. They preach expository sermons, verse by verse sermons out of books of the Bible. Uh, they don't just flip open the Bible and like, hey, this is the text I'm preaching from today. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Uh, that's a big thumbs down and another ew from Dave. Okay. Uh, but so we want. And, and we, if someone needs help finding a local church, I, I don't uh, know about you, Dave, but that's one of the things I do. I've got search engines for solid churches. So people can contact me on Instagram messages and and let me know where they live and I'll give them uh, yeah. some suggestions. Yeah, because you you can't even go on a church website and tell from that. You have to actually listen to the sermons that are recorded there because the Bethel Church, you know, their statement seems to be orthodox. But in practice and in preaching, they teach a man elevated uh, Mm. teaching false gospel that does not emphasize that we are all sinners who only by God's grace and mercy are we saved through our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross and unless a church teaches that, it could be a salvific issue for Absolutely. the congregation. There, it's interesting that you brought that up because there's actually a church that is essentially a Bethel plant in, in my in my area. I'm not going to say where it is because you might go look and I don't want you to go look. But they believe that the Bible to this to your point, they believe the Bible is reliable and trustworthy. They even believe the Bible is about the possibility of error. They even believe in the authority of the Bible that's binding on our lives. But notice what they don't believe. They do not believe that the Bible is without error, and they don't believe that the Bible is sufficient to be this for every era, every phase and stage of our life. Now, that not that interesting? And, and I went on the organization's website. I can't remember the name of that off the top of my head, but I went and looked, and they actually teach that. And then as a result, they, they, they teach totally unbiblical doctrine on numerous mm-hmm. other things. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Here today, just to illustrate it further, that it matters what you believe about the Bible yeah. because it it's going to affect what you do with the Bible, um, and what you do with the Bible is absolutely critical. Because how else are you going to know the character of God, the attributes of God? Uh, you're not going to know who and what you are as a human being made in the image of God. You're most importantly, you're not going to know about your sin and mm-hmm. and your need of rescue and. and in Christ alone, you're, you're not going to know any of that. You're not going to know about the mission that we have as Christians to go make disciples who make disciples. You're not going to know how the story ends, that Jesus is coming back and Jesus is victorious. He he does win. Um, and, you know, uh, we have a triumphant king and savior in the Lord Jesus. And so, no, if you read the Passion Translation, if you go to a church that teaches or preaches from the passion, you will be deceived. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's tragic. So, so what we're saying is come out. And, and, and I also want to say a word to those who are in a church where people from the new apostolic reformation or, or even cults make sure that, that when they're sharing, or, or really, I'll just say it this way. When anybody is sharing, you don't know that person's story. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know their testimony. You don't know their experience. Uh, they might be new. Make sure that you're welcoming people. Make sure that you're loving people uh, and and be greeting them in the name of Christ and with the love of Christ. Um, that's that's for all of us. I'm not just saying that to a pastor. I'm not just saying that to an elder. I'm saying 
every single one of us, when you get, when we're at church, we're on duty, all of us. And, and when somebody comes and they come through the door, especially if you're welcoming the, that welcome person, take that extra time to welcome them and say, you know, thank you for coming to our church and welcome. And I hope that you find the service to be a blessing and, and help to you and, and, and any number of things. And then in the, in the time, usually some churches break and they let children go, uh, go find somebody. If you've been there a while, go find somebody that's new, you know, and, or maybe somebody you don't know, you, you don't know there either. You know, you might make a new friend or someone and so forth. And uh, it's just, it's just so critical that we actually not just say that we love, but actually are intentional in our love and our care for people, especially as people like uh, come out of cults and the new apostolic reformation, they need love. They need care. It's like when somebody experiences spiritual abuse, uh, they need a lot of love and they need a lot of care. And those are all the same people that are coming out of the new apostolic reformation. And uh, they're, they're hungry for the word. They're hungry for the truth. And they, they, they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're starving and that what they really need is Christ. And they need a, a, a Christ-centered, word-centered, and word-shaped, and word-practicing church uh, where they can experience a real love and community and care centered on Christ and the word. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of Equipping and Grace. You know, Doreen and I are very passionate about this subject, but we're passionate because of the right reason, because, you know, we love the Lord and we love people and we, and we want that to be communicated because as Christians, we, we love the truth and we love people and we want, want them to, to know the truth and to come out from deception and to come into God's word and to read it and to study it and meditate on it, memorize it personally and corporally. So, uh, that's been the heart of this episode, and I want to thank you for listening or watching it, and then pray that it's helpful to your uh, growth in Christ. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.